on October the 6th, 1536, one of the most important people in your life died. His name was William Tyndale. And by the grace of God, he is the reason that you're holding an English Bible in your hand tonight. When they killed William Tyndale, they publicly strangled him and then they burned his body. And by they, I mean the government of England. They had him captured and eventually killed in modern-day Belgium. And this was because it was considered heresy by the Church of England to take the Bible and to translate it into the English language. And if that sounds backwards, it's because it is. But Tyndale believed that every plowboy in the fields should have their own Bible, which is why if you ever see one of Tyndale's original Bibles, it's just about the size of your hand, so that any plowboy could slip it in his pocket and not get in trouble with the authorities. And so Tyndale, knowing that he could never translate the Bible into the English language in England, left. He left England in his early 30s, and he went to Germany trying to find a place to translate the New Testament into the English language. And when he completed it and he wanted to have it printed, of course, it was banned in England, and that only made people want it all the more. And so the authorities in England, very upset about all of it, ended up sending a spy to Tyndale in Belgium, and the spy befriended him, and then one day as they were headed to lunch, he turned him into the authorities. And Tyndale spent a year in prison writing and doing more translation work, wanting to finish the Old Testament and not just the New on October 6, 1536, Tyndale's time came. He had to pay the crimes, or pay for the crimes of giving his life to translate God's word for the English-speaking world. And as they tightened the rope around his neck, the final words that he got out were, Lord, open the eyes of the King of England. And about 10 years later, the King of England authorized the English translation of the Bible. When the King James Bible was published in 1611, scholars say that 75% of the Old Testament was based on Tyndale's translation. 80% of the KJV New Testament based on Tyndale's translation. So William Tyndale indeed gave his life so that eventually all of us English speakers could have Bibles. The way you talk about your faith is shaped by William Tyndale. The term, my brother's keeper, did not exist in the English language before him. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. A moment in time, fashion not yourselves to the world. Seek, and ye shall find. Words like atonement and scapegoat didn't exist. He read the original languages and said, we need new words. We need new words in the English language to be able to explain this. And there would be no William Shakespeare, if not for William Tyndale. Because Shakespeare borrowed so much of his language from Tyndale. You say, okay, great, I'm convinced. This is one of the most important people in my life. And he died on October 6, 1536. Now, what does that have to do with Revelation 13? Everything. Everything. Because Revelation 13, 1 through 10 is about, it's about the English government persecuting and martyring our brother William Tyndale. And it's not just about that, it's about so much more than that. Revelation 13 shows us the spiritual reality behind any state-sponsored violence that has been done to the church for the last 2,000 years. It shows us not only that, but how state-sponsored persecution is going to continue on until the end when Christ returns. 
and every throne will bow down, and the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of the Son. We have not been in Revelation together for about a month, so just a brief overview of where we're at. Uh, There are seven cycles in Revelation showing us the same sequence of events from these different perspectives. In cycle one, there were seven churches showing us how things would be for the church until Christ returns. In cycle two, we had the seven seals showing us how things would be in the world until the Lord returns. In cycle three, we had the seven trumpets uh, showing us the same thing from a different perspective, showing us God's judgment in the nations. And now we're in cycle four, and we have seen, starting in chapter 12, the story of redemption and the church and the end being told in the terms of this epic battle. You have the dragon who has rebelled against God, and he took a third of the angels with him. That's Satan the destroyer, the king of the bottomless pit. You have the woman representing the people of God, the Old Testament people of God, the church under the law, gives birth to the Messiah in the first half of chapter 12, and gives birth to the Messiah in the sense that the Messiah comes from the line of Abraham, right? And Satan the dragon is there waiting to eat this Messiah as he is born. But before he can, the child lives and dies and resurrects and ascends into heaven. Of course, this is Jesus. And since Satan the dragon couldn't kill the child, Jesus, now he hunts the woman, the New Testament church in the wilderness of the world, seeking to kill us. But God is with us, nourishing us until the time when Christ returns. The last thing we saw when we were together in the end of chapter 12 is the dragon ominously standing on the shore of the sea. It says, And the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, meaning furious with the woman and anybody that is born of God and is a part of the church going forward, he's going to try to get them. On those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. So we have the dragon just staring at the sea. What's going to happen? What's going to come out of it? What's he looking at that sea for? Well, we're about to find out, and it's not great. We have two awful enemies of God that are going to appear here, and we're going to deal with the first one tonight. So, Revelation 13, verse 1. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads with ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard, Its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth, and to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? And the beast was given a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them, and authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation, and all who dwell in the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword he must be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and the faith of the saints. 
Oh, Father, it is hard in this world to do the right thing. It is difficult. It's especially difficult when the one who's supposed to have the sword of righteousness in their hand, the government, is then taking that sword and not using it to serve people, but to try to kill them for their faith, for their faith in you. But we don't look at just the surface of things tonight, God. Your scriptures take us deeper, and we see the spiritual realities behind it. It's not just men who want to stop the church. It's the enemy. It's Satan. He's who is behind them. And Lord, maybe if we understand his game that he's trying to play, then we would be less fearful about doing what is right and standing with you. We love you, Lord, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The dragon summons a beast from the sea. We've already seen this beast. He was mentioned so quickly in chapter 11, you might have missed him. Verse 7, when they had finished their testimony, the beast that rises from the bottomless pit will make war on them and conquer them and kill them. No reason to think that this is not the same beast. He's being called up out of the bottomless pit according to Revelation 11. You're like, well, that's not the sea, but who else is from the bottomless pit? The dragon, Satan, the destroyer, he's from the bottomless pit as well. He's calling the beast out of the sea because it's his beast. And so the beast also comes from the bottomless pit. Here he comes out of the ocean. Don't think of the ocean on a Monday morning. You're on vacation. It's 75 degrees outside. There's seagulls flying overhead. You're singing your favorite hymn, the, to- the sands between your toes, if you're into that sort of thing. I'm not. Um, but if you are, okay, it- it's your happy place, and you're thinking about all those poor saps that are stuck at work on Monday morning, and you're like, i got five days of vacation left. It's not that sea, all right? It's not that ocean. If you've ever watched the show Deadliest Catch, think of that ocean. Think of the crabbing waters up there off the coast of Alaska. Think of a dark, cold, stormy, chaotic water. It's uninviting. It looks like somebody's saying, come test me and see what happens. Think of danger. That's what the sea represents, chaos and danger, which is why when we get to Revelation 21 and the new heaven and the new earth come, the sea is no more. The chaos and the danger that the beast came up out of is gone. This beast has ten horns, he's got seven heads, he's got ten crowns on the horns, blasphemous names written on each head, scary stuff. Uh, John says the beast he sees is like a leopard, its feet uh, are, are like a bear's, its mouth is like a lion's mouth. Now, if you know your Bible a little bit, if you ever read Daniel 7, there is no doubt that John's vision is alluding to Daniel 7, undeniable. Whatever you believe about the book of Revelation, everybody agrees on this, okay? There's no doubt John is referring to Daniel 7. Daniel 7, starting in verse 1, says, In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head uh, as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Daniel declared... I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then as I looked, its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man, and the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one like a bear. It was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And it was told, Arise, devour much flesh. 
After this I looked, and behold, another like a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back. And the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. We don't have time to break down every word of Daniel's prophecy tonight, but we can talk about how it relates to John's. So Daniel's first beast is like a lion, his second is like a bear, the third one is a leopard, uh, like a leopard, the fourth beast has iron teeth and has ten horns. I understand, I, I agree with Bible commentators who say that Daniel's beasts represent the future Gentile kingdoms that are about to oppress Israel uh, for the centuries that are ahead. You have the Chaldeans, the lions, uh, the lion, the Babylonians. You have the Medes and the Persians that came after them in the bear. You have the various versions of the Greek Empire and the leopard. And then you have the fourth beast, which would be Rome. The beast that comes out of the sea in Revelation 13 has aspects of all four included in its description which would tell us it's kind of this mutant hybrid it's it's worse than all of them combined and it would also tell us that if the beasts that that are in Daniel 7 represent governments and state powers then the beasts in Revelation 13 represents what governments and state powers in fact in Revelation 17 the ten horns are interpreted as as majestics as kings it says, in the ten horns that you uh, saw are ten kings who have not yet received royal power, but they are to receive authority as kings for one hour together with the beast. So then, what we have is the dragon, desperate to destroy the woman, calling on this beast to come up out of the sea and help him with it. We have Satan wanting to hunt down God's people in this world and kill them, and he's calling on the governments of the world to help him in his cause. This was certainly occurring during uh, the first century in Asia Minor. The churches there were being persecuted by the Roman Empire because they would not worship the Roman emperor as a god. They would not bow down to him as a god. But it didn't stop there. It has happened in every century of the church, from the apostles to Tyndale to whatever happens tomorrow. The church has always been under siege from the state. And there's more to it than that. It's not just that Satan is wanting to hurt us, the church, with the state. No, it's more evil than that. He calls up the ruling powers from the sea, and he sicks them on the church, but he also in the process hopes to deceive the world into bowing down and worshiping them. So it's not just that he wants to murder us. He wants the world to worship the beast. He wants the world to put all their trust in the hands of the beast. What the beast does is he stands as a counterfeit Messiah. He's a counterfeit Jesus. And that's our first point tonight, that the beast is a counterfeit Messiah. Just think about what we're seeing in the text. You got the dragon standing on the shore. He's a scary monster. And then he calls up out of the sea the beast, who is a scary monster. Revelation 12, verse 3 says, 
And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems. The dragon has seven heads. The beast coming up out of the sea has seven heads. The dragon has ten horns. Who else has ten horns? The beast. The dragon's got crowns on his head. Who else has crowns on his head? On, or, or who has crowns on his horns? It's the beast. So you can see what's happening here. The beast is in the image of the dragon. You see that? The beast coming up out of the sea is in the image of the dragon who stands on the shore. The dragon hovers over the waters as he calls on the beast, like the Spirit of God hovering over the face of the waters at creation. And just like God made man in his image, the dragon makes the beast in his own. The Lord used imitation to glorify Himself. He made man in His image, and it was authentically good. And Adam showed off God's character before the fall. And by God's grace, even after the fall, we can see aspects of His character in us and in Adam. But the dragon uses imitation to try to do the same thing, to try to counterfeit God's work and glorify his own self. So he brings forth a beast in his image and makes him seem good, but he's not authentically good. He's deceptive. The beast is evil because he reflects the character of the dragon. Now here's what we know as New Testament believers who have trusted in Christ. God has not just put forth one Adam. God has put forth two Adams. He put forth the Adam that fell, the first Adam that sinned and brought death to all men. He also brought forth a second Adam, or or he gave us the second Adam, who was obedient and died that all who believe would have life. Not death, but life. So we have the first Adam, not glorious. The second Adam is glorious. And so while Satan mimics God, creating in his image, it's not the first Adam that the beast really wants to replace. It's not the fallen Adam he's trying to replace. It's the second Adam. It's Jesus. Because he sees the Father glorifying himself through the Son. And like Pharaoh's magicians trying to counterfeit the works of Moses, Satan tries to counterfeit the work of God in Christ. He wants to steal glory from the second Adam, Jesus Christ, and he wants to give it to the beast. The Father saves through his Lamb. The dragon deceives through his beast. The father brings all things under his control through the reign of his glorious son. The dragon seeks to control all things through his mutant beast. In two weeks after the hymn sing, we're going to see the second beast. The enemy's religious helper, the false prophet. And the false prophet wants to bring attention not to the dragon, but to the beast. The same way the Holy Spirit wants to bring attention to Christ, the Son of God. So do you see what Satan's done here? He has tried to attempt, to, to, he's trying to set up a counterfeit trinity to steal the worship of God and the authority of the triune God. The dragon offers up false promises to counterfeit the real promises of the Father. The dragon offers up a false son to counterfeit the true son of the Father. And the dragon offers up a false prophet with false signs and wonders to counterfeit the true spirit with his true signs and wonders. And if you look at verse 3, we really see this business of the beast being a false messiah, a counterfeit messiah. Notice the beast seems to have a mortal wound. But the mortal wound is healed. 
And the whole earth sees that and goes, oh, look how great the beast is. Everyone thought the beast was going to die, but the beast is alive. We will follow the beast. Does that remind you of anything? Do you see what Satan's trying to do? Do you see what he's trying to mimic? When the people in the Roman Empire, they saw the leaders of the Roman Empire dying, but the Roman Empire kept going, they would say, the beast will never die. They would say, the Roman Empire can take its bumps, and it can take its bruises, and it can lose a leader here and a leader there, but the empire is never going to go down. It will go on and on and on and on. So, when the Asia Minor Christians heard this, and they heard John talking about this beast, let me tell you something. They didn't go, hmm, I wonder if that's Putin's Russia. No. They knew exactly who it was. They were like, that's Rome. That, that's Caesar. Those are, that's, that's the ones who want to kill us because we will not bow down to the emperor as a god. And the people in the empire, they marveled. They followed the beast. The beast will never die. But the church knew better. They would not put their trust in the beast. But the world, they fell for the counterfeit. They saw this supposed mortal wound and they said, we'll reject the resurrection of Christ and we'll take this counterfeit resurrection with this mortal wound. It's all so Satan can deceive people. It's all so people would trust in the beast and not in the Messiah. The beast seems invincible, so they, they bow down and worship him. That's what those who dwell on the earth do. And in doing that, really, they're just worshiping the dragon because the beast operates in the dragon's authority. They say, who is like the beast? Who can fight against the beast? A blatant mockery of the praise offered up in Moses' generation, Exodus 15, 11, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? So the praise given to the worthy eternal God after God's people are delivered in this landmark moment in the Old Testament, that praise is now being given by the people who dwell on the earth to the government, to the beast. They're worshiping the beast in this way because they think nothing will ever happen to the beast. The plot of the dragon is clear. He wants to gain worship and control for himself through the beast, which represents the governments and the nations and the states of the world. He did this through the Roman government through the first few hundred years of the church. In the 60s, Nero blamed the Christians for the fire that took place in the city. It resulted in heavy persecution. I, I talked about the imperial cult that demanded the emperors to be worshipped as gods. And when Christians would not do this, they were tortured, they were killed. But the worst of it probably came in the early 300s when Diocletian and Galerius killed thousands of Christians and destroyed hundreds of churches in an effort to try to eradicate Christianity from the empire. But he's been doing it ever since. In the 1550s, Bloody Mary was killing Protestants left and right in England. She killed hundreds, including Thomas Cranmer, who wrote the Book of Common Prayer. And I love this. Cranmer, initially, when he was uh, captured, he recanted his Protestant beliefs. But then he said, no, 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 no. Actually, let me, let me have a, re, a, a redo on that one. I do not recant. I stand on every one of my Protestant beliefs. So they said, well, now we're going to burn you alive. And he said, fine, burn this hand first because it's the hand that I recanted with earlier. So get rid of that first. I love that from him. <laughs> and, and Satan is still doing it. 
So let's just talk China for a second. The Chinese government's been cracking down on religious organizations in recent years, but if you look under the hood, it's all about Christianity. The government has implemented a series of regulations and policies that are aimed at restricting the practice of religion, controlling religious communities. If your church is not registered with the government, you're considered illegal, and you are in danger of being harassed, arrested, imprisoned. The government is targeting underground churches and house churches that are not state-sanctioned religious organizations. Because if you're not state-sanctioned, well, you're not being closely monitored. You could be evangelizing. They don't want you to evangelize. They say that this is all in the name of social stability and preventing extremism. As they are destroying churches, removing crosses from buildings, as the Chinese government is confiscating religious materials like Bibles away from people, as, as people are facing lengthy prison sentences and slavery, they are enslaving our brothers and sisters with forced labor. As all this is happening, we know it's not just the Chinese government. We know it's not just communism. It's, it's the beast. It's the dragon behind it trying to kill the church, trying to deceive the world. In America, the beast will reach out and swipe a paw at Christians now and then, but we really know nothing of the suffering at the hands of government that our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world do. We, we know nothing of Cranmer and Tyndale being publicly killed for kingdom work. No, I think here, we got to be careful of the opposite, of becoming obsessed with the beast, of falling in love with the beast, Some people think, if I bow down to the beast, it'll fix all my problems. The beast will pay my bills. The beast will take care of um, my insurance, right? The beast will take care of global warming. The beast will take care of police brutality. The beast, the beast, the beast, the beast. Just give money to the beast and the beast will fix everything, right? There's people who believe that. On the other side, though, we have people who are very upset about the way the country is. I know that's some of you. And we say we need to make the beast great again. We need to absolutely, as Americans, as Christian Americans, be involved in government. We should vote. We should pray. We should maybe run for office if that's what the Lord uh, calls you to do. But we cannot overlove the nation that we live in, to the point that we become obsessed with the beast also. You might say, well, it's not me. I don't think the beast can fix all my problems. But do you sit around thinking about the beast all the time? Do you sit around listening to people talk about the beast all the time? Do you spend more time listening to people talk about how to fix the beast, how to feed the beast, how to reform the beast, than you think about, you know, sharing your faith and the gospel and things of that nature? I think that's the danger in America, the obsession with the beast, that it can fix all our problems or that I need to constantly think about how to fix all the beast's problems. But here's the thing about the beast. It only has the authority that God allows Satan to give it. And the kingdoms of this world, along with their beastly governments, in the end will lose that authority. They will be tossed into the flames of hell. This is what Revelation 19 teaches us. The beast was captured, and with it the false prophet, who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast. We'll get to that in two weeks. And those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. And the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse. That's Jesus. 
and all the birds were gorged with their flesh. Again, I submit to the authorities above me, but I do not worship them, and I do not think that they can fix all my problems. No, I I see the beast for what it is. It's doomed to die. As a Christian, I vote. I participate in this union as a citizen. But I don't spend all my time obsessing about how to build this kingdom because at the end of the day, I know what it is. It's still the beast. And if it decided in an instant to turn on us, it would be our enemy. We work to build a different kingdom, not the kingdom of this world. We we build the kingdom of the beloved Son, which will go on and on forever, which will replace this fallen world. So we have to be really careful that we don't spend our days fretting over fallen kingdoms. We must spend our days on guard against beasts, not worshiping them. Because our address is on the new earth. We're just ambassadors here. We are passing through. We go about representing the true God, the true king, the true kingdom. We expose the lies and the counterfeits and the beasts for what it is. A work of the dragon, the enemy. Let's keep going. This text was top-heavy. It does not take as long to get through the last two points, I promise. We see the beast is given a mouth that's uttering proud and blasphemous words. In verse 6, it opens its mouth and its blasphemy of true religion is, is total, right? He blasphemes the character of God, the name of God, the tabernacle of God, and the people of God. And if you think about it, it's just doing what the dragon has done from the start. Blaspheming God in the garden, convincing and deceiving Adam and Eve to join in on the blasphemy. And so the beast coming from the sea in the image of the dragon spits the same filth from his mouth that the dragon spits. You see the beast seeking to kill the saints in verse 7. He makes war on them and he's allowed to conquer them. That's what was being referred to in chapter 11 verse 7 when the witnesses who represent the church fell dead in the streets. The beast is picking up on the work of the dragon. The dragon seeks to kill the woman in the wilderness, so the beast made in his image does the same. So point number two, the beast is a murdering blasphemer. And what is alarming is that this murdering blasphemer has authority over every tribe and people and language and nation, which is reminiscent of what we know of Jesus, right? Again, you see the counterfeit Messiah. Revelation 7, verse 9. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. So the dragon, again, is attempting to counterfeit the Messiah with his beast. But the difference is the beast only has transferred power. It's transferred power because this This power that he has, this limited authority that he has, was handed down to him by somebody else who has limited authority. Remember, Satan only has authority in this world for a time. It only lies in the hand of the evil one for a time. His power is limited in its scope and in its duration. And he's taken that limited power and he's now endowed it to the governments of this world in hope that they will further his his cause of stealing glory from God and, and dragging souls into hell. But the beast will not have this authority forever. It will only last for 42 months. Which, you're like, here we go again with these numbers. Three and a half years, 1260 days, all representing the same period of time. All a reference to the last half of Daniel's 70th symbolic week, the age of the church, 
the last days began at Pentecost, and they will carry on until Jesus returns. And when that happens, the time of the beast is going to come to an end. And all the limited authority that he has is going to be gone, and the kingdoms of this world will be the kingdoms of the Son. But until then, what we're going to see is that the people on the earth will worship the beast. They're going to think that the beast can provide them with safety and security. They're going to think the beast can rescue them from destruction. They're going to think that government can fix the broken culture if we just elect the right people. We know better as Christians. Our names are written in the book of life from before the foundation of the world. This is an eternal hope that we have. It doesn't just stretch forward and touch the glowing horizon of eternity future on the new earth. It reaches back and believes that before time, God had His children on His heart and on His mind. And that our names were written down before He even said, let there be light. So we do not worship the beast and we do not put our hope in the beast because we know that the beast is a murdering blasphemer who will receive justice in the end. We keep our eyes on the eternal Christ who will reign forever, the Lamb who was slain. And we build His kingdom. Then look at verses 9 and 10. These verses slapped me in the face like a mallet this week as I was going back over this text. If anyone has an ear, let him hear if anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword he must be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. Verses 9 and 10 give us the brutal facts. And if you have an ear to hear, to, uh, hear you should listen up. Which is the Spirit of God's way of saying, Hey, Christian, this is for you. It's like when Jesus would say, Verily, verily, I say unto you. This is the same thing. Only Christians who have the spiritual ears to hear the special revelation of the Lord. That's who's being spoken to here. And John says, hey, if you get taken captive, them's the breaks. You get taken captive. And if you get killed by the sword, you get killed by the sword. Endure and believe. That's the way the world's going to be until Christ returns. So number three, the beast's attacks must be endured by believers. I know that a lot of you despair at how the world is. I want to tell you, mourn it. Mourn sin. We should mourn sin. When we see sin on our TV sets and in the newspaper, if you still read that, or on Twitter or wherever you get your information, we should mourn it. But don't despair don't despair. Don't seek down into depression over how evil and angry and seething and unbelieving this world is because this book has told you this is how it's going to be. Your God has told you this is how the world is going to be. It's, 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 it's not going to all of a sudden stop and go, you know what? All this rebelling against God is not going so well. Can we just gather all this toothpaste up and put it back in this tube? The world's not going to do that. They're just going to keep running further and further and further and further into depravity and rebellion. The Bible has told us this is how the world's going to be. And here is the Bible also saying, and if they turn around and they put their hands on you and they lead you away in chains, then you go away in chains. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. And if they kill you with a sword, they kill you with a sword. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And if they want to take you 
and publicly put you in a grave for translating the Lord's word into your native tongue, then you pray for the king's eyes to be opened so that the work could change the world. And if they want to burn you alive, you defy them to the end and you tell them, you burn the part of my body that shames me the most so at least you can speed up the sanctification process before I hit glory. John tells us that Christ loved his own who were in the world to the very end. That's how John talks about Jesus. He says he loved his own who were in the world to the very end. All the way to the cross, all the way to the grave, and all the way to the ascension. Those who are in the world who belong to Christ, will love Him to the very end. There are seasons where the reed is bruised. There are seasons where the wick of the candle barely smokes. But God will not let His fire go out. And He will fan the flames and the Christian will endure. No one who is truly of Christ falls away because Christ doesn't let him go. Only those with false professions, the true saving professions of faith, are followed by lives that are kept burning by the soul stoking of the Spirit of God. And the fire will burn to the end, whatever may come. Chains or swords, trophies or victories, and everything in between. But whatever we do, we won't bow down to the beast. He's a fake. He's a counterfeit. He's a murdering blasphemer but we will endure. We'll meet the second beast next week. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, one day there's going to be one final government. We'll talk about this more in a couple weeks. One final evil effort by Satan to take down your church and to steal your glory. It'll culminate in that, but until then we see all of these efforts, Lord, we, we, we see Tyndale getting strangled and burned. We could go back in Acts 6 and we could see him stoning our brother Stephen for standing up to the Sanhedrin and telling them they were stiff-necked and they needed their hearts to be circumcised. Lord, we could think about those that were beheaded publicly on video by ISIS in the last decade. Father, I, I think about... Uh, The man I learned about at a missions conference not long ago in the Netherlands, a Muslim man who came to faith through an an, um, international mission board missionary. And his whole family has rejected him. And he's given up his entire earthly family for the spiritual family of God. Lord, I think about all of that and and I I just know, God, you're going to be faithful to your people we don't know what will happen in this nation. I, I don't know, Lord. We, we have seen in 20 years, we have gone in, in, in less than 20 years from Barack Obama saying that he's against men and men getting married and women and women getting married and that he is only for quote-unquote civil unions. We went from that to where we're at today, Lord, in this nation when it comes to sexual immorality and, and, and that's just one piece of the immorality pie for this country, Lord. It has happened so fast in front of our eyes. Who knows what this country is going to be like 20 years from now. Will they turn the sword on us? We don't know. Father, we pray that the freedom that men and women in this room and those before them and those currently, that they fought for these freedoms and these privileges and these rights that we have, do we know if they will be there in 20 years? We don't know. We know you'll be there with us. We know that even if 
this nation were to turn the swords on us and we were to find ourselves in a sort of situation like these Chinese brothers and sisters are in, we know who wins in the end. It's the lamb. It's not the beast. It's the real Messiah, not the counterfeit one. So we will not put our trust, Lord, in governments. We will not put our trust in kings. We will not put our trust in governors. We will not put our trust in mayors and in supervisors. We will put our trust in you. We know that you're the one with ultimate authority, and we will build your kingdom, and we look to the horizon for your return. Don't let us become overly obsessed with the beast, thinking it can fix all our problems, Lord. Don't let us become overly obsessed with the beast, thinking we're going to save the world by fixing the beast. No, we're going to save the world by preaching your gospel. Put it in our mouths and let us preach it often this week. We love you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.